Global skiing participation is on the decline, but in one crucial market, skiing is perhaps the hottest recreational pastime with millions of people taking up the sport in the last few years. That market is China. And in this episode, we welcome back Justin Downs, who has led efforts to develop snow resorts across China over the last two decades. As president of Axis Leisure Management, Justin has played a crucial role in growing China's ski industry and developing the infrastructure for the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. He is the preeminent expert on China's ski industry. In this episode, Justin provides an overview of his work in the Chinese ski industry, detailing its development and operational challenges. He analyzes the current state of skiing in China, including participation rates and the number of skiing venues, which both rank amongst the highest in the world. He also looks at the average Chinese skier, including income levels, where they live, how often they ski, and the drivers behind broader participation. Reflecting on the 2022 Beijing Olympics, Downs shares insights on its impact on China's ski industry. He discusses the state of elite competitive skiing in China post-Olympics, the performance of Chinese athletes in international competitions, and the significance of China hosting the recent FIS Freestyle World Cup. The episode also explores developments in resort construction and the potential for China to emerge as an international skiing destination. Additionally, Downs assesses opportunities for ski equipment and winter apparel brands in the Chinese market. Enjoy. I, I would say China's using a lot more uh, AI, face recognition, and all these types of technologies that improve the efficiency of the experience. China everywhere has lots of people, so it's how to move people around efficiently, how to speed up procedures, how to make things safe without going overboard. You know, these are the types of things that are changing quite quickly in China and other countries were still kind of following very old school ways of going about things. So I think China is starting to learn from other aspects of sport and tourism and applying them to the ski industry rather than just following what your colleagues and competitors around the ski industry are doing. They're actually looking to other aspects of traffic movement or, or people management and applying them into the ski industry, which is quite unique. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Justin, welcome to the Negotiation Podcast again. <laughs> Thanks for having me back, Todd. Glad I didn't get it wrong the first time. I say again because he's been on before. So for those of you who want to catch the first iteration back November 2nd, 2021, episode 116, we had Justin on and we talked about everything going on back then somewhat amidst COVID as well. Uh, so very interesting, different times back then. And we covered a little bit about how Justin ended up in China. So if you want that story, you can go back and get it. But for now, we're just going to come in. Justin, where in the world are you today that you're recording from? We'll start there. 
Thanks, Todd. Well, you're getting me right downtown Beijing, so just after the Spring Festival. So uh, here we are, back, back, back to work in the middle of Beijing. And for those of you unwilling to go back and listen to the other episode, <laughs> tell us once again, quickly, what have you been doing in China to help develop the ski industry? Well, I'll give you the slim down version in the event you do want to go back. So, but in, yes, in, and you should. In, in in essence, as you said, I came here in uh, 2007. I actually came here with a Canadian uh, resort development company, Intrawest, which kind of later became a Hong Kong uh, operated conglomerate called Melco, and uh, kind of started off by bringing North American and specifically Canadian resort development know how and resort operations know how. Uh, to the very early stages of the Chinese ski industry. So we, we started off by buying uh, five ski resorts in Northeast China. Unfortunately, we're doing that during the financial crisis. So uh, we, we kind of stumbled and fell a little bit because of lots of reasons, largely because of the external factors external to China. Um, so that kind of came undone in, in around 2009. That's when I started my business, Access Leisure Management, basically following the same principles. So since 2009... Uh, uh, I and my company have been working with uh, the majority of China's larger private developers and also state-owned, so government-owned developers around the country to visualize uh, and plan and implement what has become one of the most dominant ski industries in the world now. So we, we, we get involved in the early stages of master planning right through to kind of detailed, de detailed ski resort or ski area design, architecture uh, interior design, construction supervision, and management. Uh, and then as the industry, as, the, as these facilities grow, we get involved in the operations of these, the development of events, which started off as you know provincial events, then got into World Cups, and then eventually, as you know, the 2022 Winter Olympic Games. So we kind of get involved in the whole life cycle of the resort. And I've had a pretty exciting journey going to some fairly remote and interesting parts of uh, this vast nation. And uh, it's been an exciting ride to see where it's come from just in the 15, 16 years that I've been here, but it's still got a long way to go. Yeah, I was going to ask you kind of off the top, the way as you're describing it, it sounds like a lot of fun. I think people listening would think, huh, like especially if you're into skiing or snowboarding or something, you're like, man, that's that sounds like a really cool job. Is it as cool and fun as it sounds? <laughs> well, well, I always joke, you know, it actually doesn't matter what industry you're in. It always looks more fun to somebody else. But, you know, if I could take out the uh, staff, uh, customers, making a profit and the weather, it's actually a perfect industry to be in. <laughs> All jokes, jokes aside. Yes, it is. Uh, it, 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 it is a fun. It is a fun job. And uh, I'm very fortunate that very early in my career, I decided to kind of follow my passion rather than follow the traditional uh, go to university and end up working in an office in a city type of thing. I thought, OK, I love I love the mountains. I love the outdoors. How can I turn this this passion into a career? And uh, thankfully, I kind of took the right paths and had the right mentors and ended up where I am today. And it, it is fun. You really get to meet some interesting people, you know, uh, and go to some exotic places and experience some different cultures. And, you know, in a, in a country like China, you, you, you know, even though it's, you know, one of the most advanced countries, uh, economies in the world, it's still very, say, uh, rough around the edges in some of these types of industries where you're still coming in. 
uh, and able to make a difference and see things in its infancy. So I, I, I get excited by, by a lot of the places I get to go and uh, the people I get to meet and the things I get to do. So yeah, for me, I feel quite fortunate, but it's not for everybody, let's say. If I didn't have to work, I would love my job. <laughs> can you just can we just start maybe with like a high level breakdown of the state of skiing in China? I think a, a lot of people might have an idea. We haven't we haven't you know we we've talked about some of their results at the Olympics and some things like that. But you have a very granular understanding, even from a data perspective, on on the numbers and number of hills access distances from major metropolitan centers, these kinds of things. Can you just give us an overall high-level breakdown of the state of skiing in China? Well, I mean, look, this industry is still very much in its infancy. And even though, you know, I guess anybody might state state claim to this, but, you know, China theoretically is the birthplace of skiing going back to, you know, thousands of years ago in, you know, Northwest China. Bold, bold claim, Justin. I know. Yes, but uh, it is true. (laughs) Okay. So they tell me, uh, I wasn't there at the time, but, um, but yeah, look, certainly the China is still, you know, why the North American industry, the Canadian industry might be, you know, 50, 75 years plus in its, uh, in its mature kind of ski operation development. China is still probably only in its first quarter of a century and really only in its first 15 years of significant development. So a lot has happened since I've been here. Uh, I think since the, since, since the early 2000s, we've gone from 200 or so places, you know, and places to ski is a loose, loose definition of skiing. You know, could go up on the back of a horse and ski down. Um, but uh, gone from 200 uh, destinations to now more than 700, which makes China the by by you know by destinations or by by resources the largest ski industry in the world. It's got the the most chairlifts. It's got the most uh, places that you can go. Um, as far as destination resorts go, though, we're still. Uh, you know, they're still developing, you know, if you want to compare something to like a, a Whistler or a Vail or a, or Tremblant or these types of places, you know, we're probably looking at around 30 or so of these large scale international destination resorts, but we have more than 700 places that you can go. And, you know, we're the indoor ski market in China is quite the phenomenon. You know, I think most people look at that as, you know, okay, there's Ski Dubai, very successful, yet some people might think it's a bit of a unique gimmick. But in China, it's actually a, a very important part of the ski industry here. So now we have more more ski indoor ski domes in China than there is in the rest of the world combined. And the top, the half of the top ten indoor ski destinations in the world are right here in China as well. So um, you know, it's it's become a massive market. You know, we're looking at around probably looking at around 30, 30 million skier visits this year, which if you look as compared to the U.S., which is around 50 million, um, you know, China's still a little bit, bit, little bit ways behind, but the numbers are steadily increasing. We've seen, you know, a 10 to 20 percent increase year on year from last year as far as skier visit numbers. Um, you know, the numbers the numbers are there to, to support it. And we're probably looking at still in China of less than a 2 percent participation of the overall population as compared to US or, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 12% or Japan and its heyday, which was around, you know, 25% or Korea around 30%. So there's still a long, long way for the Chinese industry to grow. Yeah. And I mean, those are some of the, I, I, I think we have to 
try to put it in perspective. So I like what you did there, bringing that U.S. number forward, because then it really helps us put in perspective the 2% versus a 12%, because I don't think people would even understand what it is in their home country of kind of participation Mm -hmm. rates as well, or even say 700 resorts as compared to however many there might be in the U.S., or, or something like that to help put things in perspective. I just find that sometimes when we're talking about China, we forget that some of the numbers we throw out, whether it's GDP or other things, it's like it's like meters to the sun or miles to the sun. Like it's like it's it doesn't, it doesn't matter what number you tell me. I can't fathom it. Like I don't know how to compartmentalize that number. Well, I'll, I'll give you another. I'll give you another interesting interesting. I, I did a, a a little talk before Chinese New Year about just the amount of people that travel during Chinese New Year. And they said that seven million, uh, seven billion car trips would be taken in China during Chinese New Year. That was the that was the number. And there's only eight billion people in the world. Seven billion people were uh, were were going to go on a car trip over a seven day period in China. So you know that's a, that's an unfathomable number, right? It is. It is. I have no idea what to do with that. It's just, I know it's a ton. It's a lot. It's it's immeasurable. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you some 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 questions about the quality. We know what China can do at scale, at breadth. They can they can manufacture, they can throw up a 25-story building in 30 days. You know what I mean? Like they can they can build some stuff really quickly. When we're talking about quality of snow or or distance of runs or, you know, some of these things, speed, speed of chairs, uh, you know, volume of of up and down. How how does the industry there compare. Look, the, the the good thing about the Chinese industry, as I was saying, it's still relatively young. So Chinese resorts have the benefit of the latest technologies. So you're not necessarily hampered with 30 year old chairlifts. Uh, you know that that you know are are slow and have problems, or you know are not even high speed lifts to start with. But China has the newest and the biggest and the best of. The imported technologies, but also has uh, developed its homegrown versions of it as well, which are equally as good and a fraction of the price, which makes it more uh, more uh, viable for a developer to continue to invest in the resort. It's not like a $15, $20 million investment. It might only be a $5 million investment. So we have more of new technology than anywhere else in the world. You know, we are limited mountains. The mountain, you know, the climate is the climate, and the mountains are the mountains. So, in northeast China, uh, which is kind of Beijing and above, um, the mountains, you know, we're only looking between five hundred and eight hundred meters of vertical drop. So, you know, you're not, you're not, you know, you're not looking at the Rocky Mountains or the or the Swiss Alps or anything like that. But what it is is you've got beautiful, consistent conditions. So, we we largely have blue skies. They're big, wide open groom trails, uh, which is what the, the large part of the Chinese market really actually needs, which is good quality, intermediate, stable conditions. And uh, that's what we need. So the majority of the snow is man-made snow. We probably get between one and a half to two meters of natural snowfall in the north, northeast each year across the whole season, which is not much. But that's also reliable. So the snowmaking conditions are some of the best in the world as far as the, the water quality, the temperature, the humidity, the, the, the machinery, the equipment that we have to make the snow, it makes the most reliable season. Like we can open on a guaranteed date and we can close on a guaranteed date and everything in between is somewhat guaranteed. 
On the other side of the country in the Northwest, which I recently had the opportunity to go to far up in the Northwest part of Xinjiang province in Humu region, Altai, the mountains are enormous. We had 1,500 meters of vertical drop. They have close to 10 meters of natural snowfall each year. Uh, the temperatures are quite, uh, you know, quite nice. Um, not too cold, not too warm. But that is, uh, you know, now you're getting into serious ski ski territory with, you know, 50 centimeters of fresh snow each day. So, you know, it's, it's uh, it, you know, the, from one side of the country to the other, you have a very different type of experience for different types of markets. But as the market progresses, they'll start in the, the cities in the indoor ski domes. They'll move north into, you know, the, the northeast part of the country and eventually they'll migrate to the northwest and then overseas. So it's a good progression uh, for the Chinese skier. Let me ask you directly. You're looking maybe a province, a city has asked you to come out. Uh, they've got an area that they are thinking might make a good ski resort. What's the checklist? What are the things top of the list down that you are looking to make sure that they that they have or or might be able to have? Well, of course, certainly climate is is the most important part. So we've got to be in an area that can either produce or provide snow and can sustain it. So uh, I, if it's coming naturally, that's great. But then secondarily to that, we need a good, viable and reliable water source. Water is, uh, depending on what part of the country you're in, water is uh, is a bit of a uh, difficult commodity at some times. It hasn't been recently, but it has been in the past. So definitely uh, 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 the, the climate, the ability to produce and maintain a snow covering is very important. What is that climate? Like, what's the temperatures we're talking here? Well, I mean, look, you're, you're looking at anywhere from, you know, plus two or three degrees to minus 10. Um, Celsius? Celsius, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you can produce snow in above above zero temperatures these days with, uh, you know, with modern technologies. Um, that's great. But ideally, you're looking for something that is zero and below at a constant level. Up in northeast China, we don't we don't have a problem with that. It's it's most of the time it's below zero. So it's uh, not an issue. And for at least four months. Yeah, the, the ski season, uh, the ski season starts pretty early in China. So uh, in, in the northeast, it starts in early November. Uh, and you know we're 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 happy if we get through until the first week of April. Uh, in most cases, it's mid to late mid to late March. Um, thankfully, the indoor ski domes are you know seven days a week, three sixty five days a year, so they don't they, their season's a long one. I'm not really going there with them because that's a hundred percent under control. Um, so um, I mean, are you looking for a certain density of population and 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 proximity to the uh, mountain. Well, for sure. I mean, from a business perspective, of course, you, you, you know, it's, it's a, it's an economics game, right? You need, you put in a certain amount of investment, you create a certain amount of capacity and you need a certain amount of revenue, obviously to, to support the ongoing operations and to pay off debt or anything like this. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, there's definitely smaller mountains that are, that are, are perhaps more boutique, uh, focused, or are, are more of a day skier market. They don't need to invest heavily into hotels and other such infrastructure. Um, so yes, I mean it's not unlike North America, really. You have a drive market that can come out for the day on mass, and you might have five, six thousand people in a very small area. But then they're going to leave at the end of the day. So it's just a one-dimensional uh, business. We have our destination resorts that typically, just like the, the the economics of it, are similar to North America in the sense that. You know, if people can get there in within a two, two to two and a half hour, they have the or drive time or high speed train or flight or whatever, 
they have the option to to stay overnight for as many nights as they like, but then the infrastructure is is developed to support that. So accessibility, the Chinese government is is uh, is obviously very well known for providing high quality infrastructure, airports, highways, high speed trains. Uh, it's not always organic. Sometimes we might build a massive destination resort, but then it takes two or three years for the government to recognize that they need to figure out how people are going to get there. Or the other way around, they might build an international airport in some remote location, but there's actually no infrastructure there once people get there. So it's not as uh, perhaps as well planned and as organic as it might be in other countries. But when the recognition is that it, that that, that uh, accessibility is required, the government is 100% behind providing it. When we said that, uh, and I'll, I'll go with you on this, skiing was born in China. <laughs> um, what is the country, what is the one country around the world that we piss off saying that? Well, probably Europe, I would imagine. <laughs> not, and not that Europe's a country. But what country? <laughs> what country? I mean, is it Norway? Is it Switzerland? Is it like, who are we? Uh, who's claiming? Who's the other one claiming that status? I don't think that, we make the Canadians title. angry, but I think we would probably annoy no. the, I think we would probably annoy the Swiss by saying that. But uh, they okay. don't seem to make a big okay. deal about it because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, diffi- it's difficult to dispute. So let's just let them have it. Okay. Okay, I was just curious. I want to talk just about this this the most recent 23 2023-24 season. You know, we are here in the last half of February when we were recording. So, I think we have a pretty good idea. Uh we should have some some pretty decent data and understanding. And I and I asked this because over here we had a really really late start. You know, there was so many videos about the 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 pools of water at Whistler and the lineups and the closures and just the holy the economic I I I, I'm afraid to see the economic fallout of of what this happened, uh, of what happened up there. I, I don't know if this was Northern Hemisphere globally or if you were able to potentially have a better season than, than we did, at least out here. Uh, how have things gone for skiing in China? Yeah, thanks, thankfully, uh, we didn't experience any of that. And, and the problem you refer to was not just in North America. I mean, Europe was almost devastated. And I don't know many places have actually recovered uh, from the start of the season. So thankfully in China, uh, we were not affected by the weather in any negative way at all. Um, The season started on time. Everybody got open as they should on time. Different parts of the country open at different times, just like everywhere else. So yeah, we we were quite fortunate. We had no no negative impacts by climate. Um, in, In fact, in... In so the last year's numbers. So if you look back to the previous year, uh, we experienced around 21 million skier visits in the country, and in November and December alone, the number had already exceed, exceeded 20 million. So we're already on track to exceed last year's entire season within the first two months of this year. So that's pretty. That's a pretty good indication as to the okay not only the the, the quality of the experience the, the product was ready but the uptake of the consumer that wanted to get out there and and start skiing and snowboarding so we've had a good year i mean i won't uh, hang my hat on the number but my my prediction is is that we'll get over 30 million skier visits this year that's the way it's tracking our our clients and our, our friends in the industry are all saying they're seeing between a 15 and 20 percent increase on pre-pandemic numbers uh, which is very encouraging. Unfortunately, the discouraging part of it is is that people are spending less. So we're seeing more customers, but they're spending less, and that's just a bit of a unfortunate 
you know, global economic situation that China's not immune to, consumptions are lower, but the participation is high. People really want to get out and enjoy it. So I think it's uh, it's on the right path here. The 30 million, I have no idea what that means. 15 to 20% increase pre-pandemic. I could kind of put my my finger on that. And I'm guessing that we don't we don't do anything relative to during COVID because that's just not a fair assessment. That's an outlier. We throw that in the garbage. 30 million, how does that compare to somewhere like the US? What are they what are they having? The US US is around in the low to mid fifties. So, you know, we're talking about a, pop, a population of three hundred and fifty million with around fifty, let's just call it fifty-three million uh, skier visits. And China with 1.4 billion is around 30 million skier visits. So, you know, you look at that as a bar bar chart, you know, it's going to look pretty skewed. But All we do is talk about how opportunity knocks. Every time when we're on this, either we're talking about textiles or makeup or e-commerce or hockey or skiing, opportunity uh, bounds. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the average skier. I want to broadly and without prejudice profile what does the average skier in China look like? And we're talking age, demographic, location. Uh, it was 700 resorts. We could be in a lot of places, but wealth, that kind of stuff. What, are, what did they look like? Yeah, look, I think uh, China's demographic for skiers and snowboarders is a younger, skewed younger than it probably is in North America. I, I haven't followed what the data is in North America at the moment, but I would say we're probably looking, you know, in the average in the, 20, the 20s to 30s age bracket or 20 to 35, um, you know, the, 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 the youth, well, let's call them the youth. They're not real. They're not, they're not teenagers, but the, the younger generation, uh, definitely have developed a little bit more of a zest for, uh, uh, enjoying life than the traditional go to work and raise a family type of, uh, past, uh, generations that Chinese might have. So they have more money. They have more time. They, they, they want to be adventurous, get out there with their friends and have experiences, not necessarily going out there and buying homes and and starting families early like they used to. There, it's it's about the now and what 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 fun can I have now with my friends. So I think it's it's a younger generation here. I would say we're t- we're definitely talking in the upper middle the middle class and upper middle class. Uh, you know, it's Chinese skiing is relatively affordable by global standards, but by Chinese compared to their kind of the their their base salary range. It's not a it's not a low income uh, no accessible sport for for most. Uh, all of the the local governments and the schools and these types of things subsidize that, so people get a taste of it, which is the, the right thing to do to get people interested in the sport. Um, but it, it, it is a it is a more uh, let's say affluent game here. Uh, people who have the time that they can actually take time off work. Uh, hotels are can be expensive. You know, transportation can be complicated. Um, so. Yeah, we're probably talking about, I would say, in the if you compare it to say Canadian salary ranges, we're probably looking in the you know the thirty-five to seventy thousand dollars per year would be, I'd say, the the mean average the, the average of what the main skier and snowboarder salary might look like here. So they're, they're they've got a, a good viable income to support their habit. Um, and then I would say most of them. It's quite surprising here, actually. If you go out on the ski slopes here, you'd be you'd you'd be you'd convince yourself almost that there are no skiers in China because almost everybody's a snowboarder. The snowboarding industry is crazy, crazy strong here by comparison to skiing. So I expect that to shift in the years to come. But right now, it's heavily dominated by 
young snowboarders and a very high percentage of females. So it's, it's quite, it's, it's quite, quite interesting to look at. Interesting. I'm a snowboarder myself. I've been thinking about going back to skiing. I mean, it was the first thing I did when I was a little kid, but you know, when I was kind of a teenager and Burton was coming out and Kemper was out there and I was, I was drawn to it like a moth to a flame as well. Um, I'm surprised it's kind of still that way. Yeah. Well, I think here, here it is. It just seems to be more of a social, uh, uh, I, I think the brands of snowboarding has done more to create a culture uh, in China than skiing has, you know, skiing just seems to be, you buy, you buy a product and you're, you're a soloist. Whereas here, snowboarding really seems to have developed community and, you know, people, it, it's, it's, it's all about what you wear and what car you drive and, you know, what beer you drink and all of these types of things. It's, it's really become its own subculture, which is what it was in North America, probably, I, I'm just guessing, maybe 20 years ago. Skiing, you know, these things t- have their, their, their peaks of, uh, of, you know, acceptance or, or, um, yeah, or, you know, people's passion t- 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 seems to go, but the technology the technology of skiing brings people back to skiing. And I think that's what's going to happen in China right now. We don't have big, big mountain powder, for example. So people have not moved to twin tip skis and freestyle sports as much as they would have in North America. Uh, so snowboarding is just a little bit more trendy because the equipment and the, and the whole atmosphere is more trendy for the kids here. Let's talk about some of the more, like let's say some of the elite skiing type of stuff. We know that we last had you on in 2021. Then we had the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Two years later, do you have some high-level takeaways of that event, its significance and impact on the Chinese ski industry? Look, I would say the, the Olympics, you know, the Olympics were announced in 2015. Uh, and the Chinese industry was already on an upward traject- trajectory at the time. So I think the Chinese industry was always going to be something meaningful, regardless of whether the Olympics happened. Um, but the Olympics certainly solidified that. And the one thing about the Chinese, uh, maybe maybe more so than any other country, is they're very passionate about the success of their own athletes. So if they, they, they become rock star celebrities nationwide. And... China excelled at the Winter Olympics, and it really encouraged a lot of young young athletes or or, or families to get their kids to get into uh, you know competitive sport in skiing, which they hadn't necessarily thought of prior to that. So, you know, China's athlete development program was fairly weak prior to the announcement of the games, but became extremely strong very quickly, and they they showed some good success during the games. Um, the games themselves obviously was a proud moment for China, but both because they pulled it off in, at all, let alone in the middle of a pandemic and did well, uh, medal wise. So that was a proud moment, but it just made people pay attention to winter sport as a real viable, I, I guess, athletes, you know, you can be successful as an athlete on the global stage and, and, and as a pastime, people realize that it's actually a fun thing to do. So the Olympics were very good for China. And I think from an athlete progression standpoint, it's really made the world stand up and say, okay, you know, th- these guys, yeah, we're not, we're not Norway we've, where we've got centuries of uh, downhill skiing uh, strength or, or Canada for that matter. Uh, but these guys are a force to be reckoned with in the years to come. 
Let's talk a little bit about elite competition skiing in China. Talking about how have they been doing internationally since the Olympics? They just hosted that the FIS, the, the Freestyle World Cup. We know that there is all hail the Queen and Madame Gu for just her dominance of, of all things. Talk a little bit about the state of elite competition skiing in China and, and how they're performing abroad now. Yeah, look, certainly... Yes, we yes we all know Eileen Gu, so we don't need to talk about her. She's uh, if I walk down the street here toward my office, I'll probably see her face on a poster about five times in about a kilometer. So, yeah, she's a rock star. Yeah. But she's she's not only changed actually the the uh, perception of of skiing in China. She's changed it globally. I'm on the board of Freestyle Canada, and our demographics of new people becoming members of Freestyle Canada wanting to get into free skiing. We all of a sudden seeing a lot of young girls uh, and young, and you go to like the what it, was it the the rodeo in Calgary where where Eileen won gold medal I think it was uh, or two of them just this past weekend. You look at the you look at the fans in the crowd. It looks totally different than it did five years ago. Now it's full of uh, you know young young Asian girls. Right, this is a new generation of skiers and snowboarders that no one really counted on, and she she can take credit for for creating that, just like Tiger Woods did for golf in in many ways. Right, so. Or Taylor Swift did for the NFL. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but it's the same thing. Yeah. So, so look, uh, yes, we have people like her. And then, uh, you know, uh, China, you know, has got some great snowboarders. I think, uh, you know, you look at uh, Sui Ming or, or Liu Jiayu, like these are kind of household, household names of young Chinese uh, guys and girls who have done very, very well on the global stage and here during the Winter Olympics in China a couple of years ago. And so people really aspire to to follow to follow that. Um, the the you know if you look at um, uh, you know just on the the provincial you know we have provincial championships and provincial um, um, you know I think I guess entry level fist fist uh, progressive games and things like this. There are more and more youngsters like 10, 12, 13, 14 year olds that are coming up the ranks very, very quickly. I think the athlete development program, the next generation athletes, as we might call them, are, are you know, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in, say, not maybe 2026, but probably 2030 uh, Olympic Games. I think 2030, I think, is where you'll really see the Chinese athletes excel. Um, the facilities are here. The conditions are here. The government support is here to really uh, push these athletes uh, to to get bigger and better. Mostly, it's been about freestyle sports because that's the natural tendency for you know coming out of gymnastics and other types of uh, you know aerobic type sports. The strength sports like uh, Nordic and alpine skiing. It's going to take a while before China China puts you know people on the podium in those sports, but the rest of them ski jumping and uh, freestyle sports. China's already there. Any other news that I, I kind of want to open up to you in in in, in terms of resort development? And, and we touched on the indoor ski facilities. I didn't want to jump into it before, but this is I would say somewhat cost prohibitive for most places in the world to really get behind this. Now, and I don't know for sure. I just kind of think that it must be. You know, you're either in Dubai or you're in China or you're in one of these places that can really afford to have these places. But just talk to us a little bit like new, new, exciting news and trends in terms of resort development, innovation, infrastructure, technology, indoor ski facilities. The floor is yours. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, China, China for the you know for most of the past uh, two decades has been a follower, you know, watching the trends of what's happening overseas and trying to emulate that here in China. Now, now I I see China as being a leader, and uh, I I have a feeling that in the coming years we'll see a lot more. Rather than Chinese people going to Switzerland or Canada on uh, fact-finding missions to see how does this industry work, we'll see North Americans and Europeans coming to China um, to to kind of understand the next generation of the skier because the next generation of skier is here, right? It's declining in most other countries, unfortunately, uh, but is on a rapid increase here. So China is now trying to be ahead of the curve. Um, you know the the. I, I would say China's using a lot more uh, AI and uh, you know face recognition and all all these types of technologies that improve the efficiency of the experience. So I think you know China everywhere has lots of people. So it's how to move people around efficiently, how to speed up procedures, uh, how to make things safe without going overboard. You know these are the types of things that are are are, are changing quite quickly in China. And, in other countries, we're still kind of following very old school ways of going about things. So I think China is starting to learn from other aspects of sport and tourism and applying them to the ski industry rather than just following what your, your colleagues and competitors around the ski industry are doing. They're actually looking to other, other aspects of tra- traffic movement or, or people management or these types of things and applying them into the ski industry, which is quite unique. The ski, the indoor ski industry is quite the phenomenon in China. When you, but when you think about it, more than half of 1.4 billion people live in a part of China where there is no snow. These people have you know, disposable income. They have a desire to be – actually, they typically are more athletic in general. They're runners and they're hikers and they play football because they can play outside all year round. But they're looking for – other types of entertainment and outlets to to uh, you know to spend time with their friends. So indoor ski dome development in the southern part of China is I mean there's you know, more than 700 million people there that that's a target market. And the Chinese government because it's still supporting the growth of uh, of winter sport as a part of its platform to for the for the 2022 games anybody who wants to develop uh, a piece of property for a mixed-use development of shopping mall or office complex. They're saying you need to have a winter sport component to be involved with this, whether it's an ice rink or a curling rink or, a, or, or, or an indoor ski dome or just a snow play area or something that gets people exposed to winter sport. Um, so that, 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 that's just supporting the government's narrative. And really the government's narrative is that we want people to be active, healthy, and out enjoying themselves and, you know, not – you know, sitting at a desk for 60, 70 hours a week and being depressed because a happy people makes a happy economy. And I think that's being shown through. So, you know, the, 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 the technology and the architectural boundaries that the, that the local developer, developers are pushing uh, to bring kind of a holistic experience in these indoor ski domes, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's like Disney inside a refrigerated box. You know, it's it's really quite something. There's something for everybody, from grandparents down to babies, from professional athletes to first-time skiers or snowboarders. And people are making these uh, their destination. It's really. I mean, I encourage anybody to come and have a look at them. It's uh, state-of-the-art stuff. Um, you know, and and they've got. But the good thing is they've got the population base to support that. You need 
you need density, right? So you don't just build a, a place that can hold a hundred thousand, you know, uh, ten thousand people in a day in a population where there's only like you know thirty thousand people. It doesn't make sense. So thankfully, we've got big cities. Well, if you've ever wanted to go skiing in a snow globe, China's the place for you. Definitely. Now, last question, real quick, just a. Uh, if you could just touch on maybe the opportunity in China for purveyors and makers of ski equipment, winter apparel brands, ski clubs, hockey clinics, and, and, and coaching programs and academies, what does the opportunity look like, especially in the ski industry, for those types of people in China right now? Yeah, look, there's most of the big brands are already here. And the big brands seem to dominate, say, the apparel and the equipment market. Now, that being said, uh, they it, it, there's still a lot of uh, niche opportunities for the the smaller brands so you know for example as i mentioned about northeast china um you know this is this is powder powder mecca you know there is it's kind of like you know northern japan or the canadian rockies in a good year i mean these are big this is an opportunity for the all mountain skis and the big powder boards and the you know the arcterixes of the world rather than just being a fashion brand but being a proper functional brand for the environment people who have a technically specific product uh there's still plenty of opportunity now as these frontier ski destinations uh come about uh, and start to become more popular and more accessible but as it comes, so definitely on the apparel, it's a saturated market at the moment, but I think it's starting to stabilize. And I think if you've got the right product and you find the right market segment, it's a big population that you still have the opportunity to benefit from. Um, when it comes to the educational side, uh, there's still a huge opportunity for develop. Uh, you know, yes, ski instruct a ski instructor is a ski instructor. Let's say you take somebody who's a level one ski instructor and. And teach a you know teach a, a newcomer to the sport how to ski, but it's the next steps. So it's about how to get people into racing, or into freestyle, or into snowboarding, or into you know disabled the you know the dis whole disabled uh, uh, sport education side of things. I think the whole educational side of the business. There's a lot of people at level one, let's call it, but it's it, it's it's a the, the the pyramid still needs to grow. So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for for international uh, freestyle camps, uh, both inbound into China, coming bringing the education into China, but also taking people out of the country for uh, you know for other types of coaching and, and professional experiences. Um, and then there's the educational side of the, the business from the academic side. So it's it's uh, uh, you know talented. Uh, tradespeople, so grooming drivers, snowmakers, uh, ski patrollers, uh, man, man, you know, operational management level people. China still needs still needs these types of people and needs this type of intelligence to help it grow in a responsible way uh, and to set the basis for where China needs to be for the next 20, 30 years. Perfect. Thank you very much. Justin Downs, president of Axis Leisure Management. Thank you very much for once again coming on the show. Thanks, Don. Okay, for everybody who is listening to us audio only, whether it's on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, thank you for listening. But don't forget, if you want to catch the full video version of this interview or just see some of the shorts, head on over to the WPIC YouTube channel and find it all there. But from me and for Justin and for the entire team at The Negotiation, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. 
the best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.